0: This is the Low Tox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 220. I'm really excited about today's show. It's a continuation of our personal health series, kicking off 2021. Happy New Year! If you haven't tuned in yet, it's great to be back on air. Um, Breathing, how's your breathing going? because today's guest, Dr. Rosalba Courtney, has a PhD in breathing. She owns the Breath and Body Clinic in Sydney, Uh, and in today's chat we talk about breathing tools, techniques, devices to help retrain respiratory muscles to be longer and more efficient. You know, you hear about these Olympic swimmers that have crazy massive lung capacities compared to average everyday people, but it turns out we can all train our breathing, all of us, to be better, our lungs to retain more air, Uh, a whole bunch of really interesting stuff comes up in today's chat. So um, Rosalba's PhD is in breathing, as I mentioned, uh, and she really was one of the people who uh, did a ton of work to define what optimal breathing actually was. to to come up with some tests to look at uh, therefore what suboptimal breathing is and then how to get a patient to regain breathing flexibility so uh, all is going to be explained in the show but I guess what I want you to think about is you know are you short of breath sometimes do you hyperventilate do you wake up in the middle of the night gasping for air Uh, Are you a snorer or your partner perhaps? Are you feeling easily puffed even with the smallest amount of exercise? And often, as we learn in today's chat, these things are put down to other things, Um, but what is absolutely certain is that breathing needs a new PR agency (laughs) to take it to the rightful centre stage place in supporting our health, and I'm really hoping that today's show helps you guys out there see the potential uh, that exists in really focusing in on our breath, the health of it, its flexibility, uh, and how to start actually tuning into what might be an issue, uh, what might be working really well. Uh, And it was one of those shows where as I came to the end of it, I thought, oh my gosh, I've got like now a hundred questions about breathing. So this is definitely not the last show on breathing we're going to be doing. I, um, I'm very excited to delve into this a little deeper this year, um, but it is certainly a brilliant start and I'm really, really excited to share Rosalba's work with you and I hope you enjoy the chat as much as I do. Now, before hooking into that chat, I want to just give a big shout-out to the wonderful singer-songwriter who is responsible for our intro show tune these days. It's the wonderful Melanie Horsnell, and you can jump onto her website, uh, H-O-R-S-N-E-L-L, Melanie Horsnell, and check out her CDs to download She's a wonderful artist. I've known her personally for 20 years, uh, more even now. Back when I was a singer songwriter myself for a brief uh, few years there, uh, we were both on the pubs and club circuit together. Um, She always had a bazillion times more talent and uh, tenacity for the music industry, that's for sure. Uh, But she's just truly a delight, a wonderful poet a philosopher, the sweetest voice you've ever heard, but packed with emotion. I love her music. I'm always so happy that I get to showcase a wonderful Aussie independent artist. And if you feel like lending an independent artist your support, there's nothing better you can do for an artist than download their music from their own website so that they get the benefit of that uh, directly. Uh, so, that was one thing I wanted to mention. Then, of course, a welcome to the people who've joined the Lotox Club this week. There's quite a few of you. Maybe it's a bit of a New Year's vibe, and you're thinking, nope, this year I'm actually going to make the time to do this. Um, and remember, you know, if you don't have time to look at anything for two weeks, no one's going to come chasing you. But there is so much wonderful stuff, both in the Club member dashboard where you get your um, monthly ebook on different topics. Very excited! This month we're doing a big uh, ethical investment, uh, super fundraising uh, uh, charity, uh, carbon neutrality sort of look at tons and tons and tons of resources that we've put together, researched in US, UK, and Australia, and uh, to how to start changing your banking, your insurance. Um, the status quo on the major banking and financial institutions as to whether they're still investing in new fossil fuel projects, etc. So we've put together a really great booklet to help people navigate this rather complex uh, and often confusing space. Uh, so very excited about the February topic. January was actually um, Healthy Ageing Hacks, We looked at all the ways that we can age optimally. I hate the words anti-aging. Having spent years in the cosmetics industry in the earlier part of my career, it does no favours to anyone messaging culturally. uh, It's just, it's an antique. Let's call anti-aging an antique. It is wonderful to age. It is a privilege to get older. Uh, It comes with many, many benefits. Yeah, sure, a few downsides, but... know what you're going to do there's always a bright side of life and healthy aging is just a much better way to to frame a body and face positive message uh, through uh through the years that we start to get older and you start to see those wrinkles and you start to maybe feel a little bit different in your body and this month uh just gone january's ebook was all about how to optimize uh, ourselves as we age some pretty cool ideas in there. Uh, so you also have, of course, all of last year's booklets to dive into. So it's a wonderful, sweet deal, 49 bucks Australian a year. You can jump on to lotoxlife.com, hit the Explore tab, and Join the Club is the very first option. That's probably the easiest way to do it. Uh, I could give you a URL, but uh, I'm not organised, and I'm now trying to type it into my bar while i talk to you and yes i can give you that url uh lowtoxlife.com forward slash the hyphen low hyphen tox hyphen club so you can find it that way as well i'd love to see you there it's growing all the time and this year we have some very exciting little extra developments so on top of the ebook and the 50 percent off your courses all year round Uh, and the wonderful Facebook group that is Minus Trolls because of that um, small paywall. So it's a really beautiful, supportive space with high-quality interaction. Uh, We will also be broadening our expertise. So right now we have the Ask Your Naturopath with the lovely Renee who's on my team, uh, and she answers uh, some troubleshooting ideas and things that you might have around health topics for your own health, for your kids. Um, But we're actually going to be bringing in some fantastic extra experts in different areas of the low-tox life. Uh, And so we're going to be running some webinars and special things just for the clubbers. Um, And, you know, that's my way of, of course, saying thank you so much for supporting us and our business, but also we just love supporting you and your goals. So having that uh, more communal space helps us all connect better uh, and I really love that and it's wonderful to see everybody getting to know each other the regulars that post and often help people really really um, lovely so shout out to all the clubbers out there and I look forward to seeing maybe you join us uh, this week or in the coming weeks So that's all I had to mention for uh, today and uh, I don't want to hold you back from this amazing interview with Rosalba all about breathing. So go ahead and enjoy. I can't wait to hear what you think. Hello, Rosalba. How are you? Hello, Alex. I'm very well today. How about you? I am great. I am thrilled to have you on the show. It is a brand new year and we are starting with a health series. And I think one of the topics that just seems to fly under the radar for a lot of people as they search to improve themselves in many different ways these days, whether that's from a place of challenge or optimization, is breathing. And we've had a few gurus pop up in recent years who have brought this uh, to the forefront in terms of the importance of breathing well and oxygenating the blood. Uh, But uh, I'm really excited to bring who I think is probably one of the greatest gurus of all to the show, and that is you on breathing. And you are someone who has actually done a PhD in the subject of breathing. And my first question for you is um, what were some of the, um, the things, I guess, that made you think uh, breathing is big And I really want to study everything about this to see how I can help people on this front.
1: Yeah, well, it it was like that. You know, I mean, my background is that I'm an osteopath. I'm a naturopath. I sort of trained back in the 70s when you could do everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And um, so I was always looking for new ways to help my patients. And I had some patients with breathing difficulties and, and strange symptoms And so I kind of went looking and I, I saw that, you know, breathing retraining was the thing that you could do. And I started looking at breathing exercises and using them. And the more deeply I got into it, the more interested I became. And, and, and so actually one of the breathing techniques that really got me very involved was the Botteco method. Mm. And so I do, you know, I've sort of moved on from that, but that was one of the places I, I, I started with and, um, so, I saw that people could get absolutely, you know, phenomenal changes in their health by working in a very disciplined, focused, and intense way with the breath. And I realized, oh, this is actually a healing tool. And of course, the yogis had always said that it's in Qigong, but I only kind of semi half believed that. But I saw some real incredible transformations. And um, so I ended up. You know, chairperson of the Bateko Association. And I wrote a training course and I was training people all over the world. I went to Russia, met Bateko. But the more I got into it, the more questions I had. And I realized that actually there was a lot of confusion. You were people saying this and then other people saying the exact opposite. <laughs>
0: yeah, hello health.
1: Yeah, right. Ah. Hello to health. Yeah. And for some reason, it just, I got, I, I got a bee in my bonnet and I had to sort it out. And, um, so I thought, well, I stopped, actually stopped teaching. I stopped teaching. And in 2002, I uh, enrolled to do a PhD at RMIT University. And what I really wanted to know was how does breathing heal? You know, how do you choose this technique over that technique for a person? And, um, but at the time, there was a lot of talk about this whole concept of dysfunctional breathing do you know that there's some sort of optimum breathing that there's some sort of um you know functional good breathing and that there's something called dysfunctional breathing so so my phd actually was called dysfunctional breathing it's parameters measurement and clinical relevance so so what I did was that I just developed a whole lot of um, tools. First of all, I developed a model for dysfunctional breathing, which I'm happy to talk about. And then I also developed some tools for assessing breathing. Yeah. So I, I developed some questionnaires, some manual therapy, some, and a whole kind of protocol. And, uh, and so I kept on sort of researching and publishing on that. Because I what I wanted to do was bring the art and the science together.
0: Yeah, so important.
1: Yeah, and, and 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 make it kind of structured so that as a breathing therapist, you could do some testing, you could evaluate a person as you were treating them, then you could retest to see if you'd fix this dysfunctional breathing. So one of the things I wanted to do really was uh, professionalize breathing therapy because we had of chaos out there you know a lot of contradictory ideas something that had tremendous potential but where you know there was a bit of stuff that wasn't quite true and quite a bit of dogma and belief mixed up with some stuff that was really good and valid you know that had good Mm. scientific backing for it so i just wanted to kind of you know make it so that as a health professional i could approach breathing training and breathing therapy in a in in a kind of a, you know, properly professional way. Mm.
0: So I guess, I mean, we're going to unpack a lot of that today, but I would love to start by focusing on what the body gains when we're breathing right, because I think from that, we then reverse engineer what the, the not so good picture looks like, and we get back to what the, the real potential for um, helping us thrive is in when we are breathing well and maximising um, the benefits of breath.
1: Yeah, yeah. So one of the things, one of the concepts that I sort of came up with is that there is no perfect breathing that's perfect for every person in every situation. Mm-hmm. All right. So one of the key things about breathing, and and, and this is important because some people can get quite caught up in, oh, look, I should be breathing, you know, like this. I should always be breathing nasally, which is kind of true most of the time. I should always be breathing diaphragmatically. I should be breathing slowly in a relaxed manner. And that's all kind of true. But the thing is, your breath is integrated with every system in your body. And sometimes people who don't have good breathing because they've had stress or disease or something like that, they're so focused on breathing right that they over control their breathing. Mm -hmm. So that being said, if you do breathe well, you know, through your nose and you don't have excess tension in your breathing pattern and you're tending to breathe, you know, in a low relaxed manner when you're relaxed then that's good breathing so i suppose um when you i'm kind of answering your question but (laughs) try to to put it in this context of this idea of functional breathing yeah yeah. can i talk about that can i talk about that so so the thing about breathing and it does answer your question is that it has many many functions Mm. right so it's got primary functions And the primary function would be exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide and the regulation of pH. Yeah. So if you're breathing well, not only are you regulating your oxygen, you're also regulating your carbon dioxide and your body's pH. So your breathing will respond to pH. So if you're very acidic, then it's appropriate for you to breathe more because your body needs to blow off some of that acidity. Wow. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So it's like someone who's very alkaline, you know, would breathe less. Someone who's more acidic would breathe more, and that's completely appropriate.
0: Mm. And does the heartbeat mirror that as well?
1: The the heartbeat's a different sort of function of breathing. You know, so so you've got this uh, function of breathing being oxygen, carbon dioxide, pH, and that's kind of primary function of breathing. (coughs) <coughs> and someone who, you know, has a really low oxygen because of something, you know, they're very obstructed in the airway or, you know, they've had something like COVID, you know, and they've got heaps of clots and everything in their lungs. <coughs> so someone like that to get more oxygen might need to breathe more. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. Um, someone who's a hyperventilator who's been over-breathing the whole thing about their good breathing is they've got to breathe less mm. than they were breathing. So it's, you know, like that. And then a second good function. You can say then a good breathing is bio-individual. To some extent, yeah. And it's, cha- and it's changeable and it's responsive, you know, to your body. And so another primary function of breathing is that breathing is a pump. Mm-hmm. It's a neuromuscular pump, yeah, and there's all these pressure changes that happen as the rib cage changes its Mm. size and dimensions. So someone with, um, you know, this respiratory pump, it moves air, but it also moves blood, Mm -hmm. lymph, and cerebrospinal fluid. And and then you've got secondary functions of breathing. So you've got the way that breathing is interacting Mm. with all the other systems of the body, you know. And so, for example, Breathing is really important for speech and vocalization. So there's all the stuff you've got to do to breathe and speak well and make sound well and for your breathing to integrate with your vocal cords. And then there's also how breathing works as a tool for self-regulation, meaning that breathing is a tool to calm you down, to pick you up, to focus your mind, to self-regulate. And then breathing is also a major, um, it's a rhythm. So we don't just heal from, you know, eating well and taking supplements and taking medicines. We also heal because of certain physics, you know, certain laws of physics. So breathing is an oscillating rhythm and it's an oscillating rhythm that can influence other oscillating rhythms within the body. So if you think about, say, heart rate, that you just mentioned before, you know, like heart rate shouldn't just be static. Heart rate speeds up and slows down and speeds up and slows down. And the rhythms of blood pressure, you know, blood pressure is slightly going up and then coming down to interact with the heart rate and breathing. And then you've got other oscillating rhythms in the body to do with the movement of fluids or metabolic activity or the movement of blood from the inside to the outside body and you know breathing interacts with all those other oscillations Mm. so that's why you don't want static breathing and some idea of always breathing in this perfect way yeah breathing has to listen it talks breathing talks but it also listens in a way
0: yeah Yeah. so like with um uh with the heart with the metabolism it's like really flexibility is part of the overall picture of good breathing this is true
1: absolutely mm. true yeah fascinating
0: that makes a whole lot of sense and sometimes I chastise myself on the tennis court for not being able to reach down and get a big deep relaxing breath but that's not the time that I need that because I actually need
1: faster exchanges yeah yeah that's right you I might be better breathing. about that now yep. yeah <laughs> it, it might be completely appropriate for you to be doing some you know more active configuration of breathing in the upper rib cage mm. at that time I think a lot of people would have had a little pennies drop just then. <laughs> yeah, but well, it was a big one for me, kind of getting that concept and going, all oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So healthy breathing is breathing that's adaptive and appropriate and responsive. Yes.
0: Mm. So, so it's such an important key thing because as you mentioned the word dogma before, we try to define what perfect looks like. And then everything that isn't that is wrong or bad or evil and yeah. um, and i think it helps sell a lot of protocols out there doesn't it but really the yeah. is the flexibility and the bioindividuality
1: yeah 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 this is true
0: yeah, yeah. okay so when we're not breathing appropriately i'm going to use the word appropriately versus yeah. right because i yes. think that's more appropriate yes. um what Uh, What are some of the signs? What are some of the situations that we need to look Mm. out for that might be
1: putting up a bit of a red flag? So when someone's breathing inappropriately, one of the things that you'll see, for example, is that they just have unexplained breathlessness or unexplained breathing discomfort. Mm. So someone who just feels sort of inappropriately short of breath Mm -hmm. or even someone who's got a respiratory or a cardiovascular disease or, you know, something like that, but their breathing is disproportionate to their condition, then often it means that their breathing is not appropriate. Do you know, the disease is throwing them out of whack. Or say a lot of people with anxiety, you know, they will feel too easily breathless, too easily they'll have respiratory discomfort. That's one, one sign. Another sign is if we look at regularity and irregularity of breathing, okay, so some people think that, okay, perfect breathing is this perfectly regular breathing where you're always breathing like a monk, you know, in meditation, perfectly in and out, you know, very slow. But that's not life because our breathing responds to our thoughts, our inner speech, if you like, and it responds to emotions. So, but... What happens if you're excessively anxious and if your brain is too busy and if you're always anticipating, you know, problems and preparing for danger, you know, Mm. breathing will become excessively irregular. So that's one thing to look for. It's not so breathing, perfect breathing is somewhere between chaos and rigidity. Do you know? Yeah. Uh, so you've got this nice, you've got structured irregularity. Uh-huh.
0: I often common. notice when my breathing's out of check, and I've had two instances in my life where it's been that way. Uh, one was when I had mold illness and SIRS about four years ago, four years to three years ago. Um, but then again, early this year, when I think I may have had COVID nineteen, um, beginning in March, and um, and when I know I'm not breathing properly is when I need to try and focus really, really hard in what would otherwise be a calm situation to try and get a deep breath. Right. That's my big red flag. I'm like, oh that's not right.
1: Oh, there you go. So where the breathing is excessively effortful. Mm, yeah. in, in
0: a circumstance that is not on the
1: tennis court. Yeah, not there you go. yeah. yeah, so the breathing requires work or effort mm. or, or there's a sense of not being able to get a satisfying breath. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that unsatisfied respiration, you know, and breathing that feels like excessive effort and work, they're, they're all symptoms of breathing dysfunction. Mm. And Where the, the neurochemistry of the breathing is just, it could be there's just pathology in your lungs. Yeah. And that's what you've got to deal with. But it could be that the pathology is not the issue or it's not as much of the issue, but what's going on is more the brain, the breathing system, the breathing control system or the chemistry of breathing, and that needs to be tweaked. Yes. And retrained. So
0: one of the things that a lot of people in the community uh, worry about or notice is the mouth breathing, whether it's in their kids and they're trying to... Uh, fix that and do some um, uh, myopathy and uh, that kind of training, or whether it's the snoring partner. Uh, you know, these two situations are pretty common, I think we could agree, in the modern yeah.
1: world. Yeah, um, becoming increasingly common too, apparently.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think, like with everything on that graph, that we can plot the rise of chronic health issues. And all the things that we've added to the environment, to the diet uh, and to the way that we um, treat disease, uh, you can just put them as growth growth uh, statistics together, really, yeah. can't you? Yeah. Um, and I, so I think part and parcel of that is the mouth breathing, uh, as we've spoken about with uh, Dr. Ron and Dr. Lewis Ehrlich on the show uh, a couple of times. Um and the fact, you know, Stephen Lynn as well, another um, holistic dentist, who's done some amazing research uh, correlating traditional diets with perfect jaws and perfect um, nose breathing like uh, Dr. Price, discovered back in the 30s. So if people are dealing with these challenges, where do you start to support them um, when it comes to uh, breathing more appropriately?
1: So, mouth breathing is an effect. So it happens often for a reason, but once you're mouth breathing, it can perpetuate problems. So, stopping mouth breathing. Sometimes you've got to look at the cause, and deal with that. Which in child, with children, that might be enlarged adenoids and tonsils or reflux, for example. Or it might be, as you would have learned from the doctors Ehrlich and um, Stephen, you know, Dr. Lynn, that, you know, sometimes it's structural. It's that there's just not enough space. The, the jaw is too narrow and crunched in the top and also here in the bottom. So you've actually got an inhibition of facial growth that's made worse by mouth breathing, but sometimes it started in utero, actually. Mm, wow. you babies born with high arch palate. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the causes are complex. But once someone is mouth breathing, I'm actually doing a bit of research at the moment on patients, people with chronic um, mouth breathing who have uh, nasal disuse syndrome because there is this thing called nasal disuse where when you don't breathe through your nose, the health of the nose declines. Oh, wow. But microbiome uh, and... yeah. Yeah, yeah microbiome Um, there are just certain regulatory mechanisms that are stimulated through nasal breathing so there's been research done showing that when people have tracheostomy you know and they've got the little thing in their neck to breathe through their neck their whole nasal mucosa like just gets really congested and swollen and you know they'll get bacterial growth and they'll get you know a biofilm starting to develop in the nose and The actual oscillatory pressures from breathing stimulate hydration of the nose and they improve the ATP and energy production within the nose. And nasal breathing, you know, stimulates the release of, for example, that chemical called nitric oxide, and which you might have heard about because, you know, there's all this research about how it kills viruses, bacteria and fungi. And um, it, it kind of actually even reduce, helps to reduce inflammation in the nose so there's research out there showing if you can encourage nasal breathing you know if the conditions are, are right enough if there's enough space there some people just really need to see an ent mm-hmm. you know, yeah. maybe have the turbinates reduced or they you know they need to do something else but um what say my job is when people come and see me is i'll just go okay Can I start working with this person to help them nasal breathe? And I just have little tests and procedures that I do. Do You know, one of the the big ones, which you might want to know, is um, just a three-minute nasal breathing test. Mm -hmm. Research on this showing that if you can nasal breathe for three minutes Mm -hmm. with tape on your lips or just holding water in your mouth like this, you know, Mm-hmm. you can do that for three minutes if you can do it for three minutes you probably can rehabilitate your nose wow but if you can't if you can't breathe through your nose for three minutes then I shouldn't waste your time and you should go and see an ENT gotcha. or a dentist and, and I think it's work. so important
0: that as health professionals we decide what those lines are and we generously refer out when it's really got to be sorted in a different way before you can then continue to work with a person
1: yeah yeah Mm. got to be pragmatic and know your limitations and you know not waste people's time yeah and money you know money precious resources yeah people could be
0: going for years down the wrong track
1: yeah Mm. some other tests too would be for example with children um a lot of kids you can, you know, train them to breathe better nasally. Some kids go and have adenoids and tonsils removed and they come back, they're still mouth breathing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's because they're really severely allergic. But, you know, um, other children, you try and get them to stop mouth breathing and they just, they just get really naughty and restless and they won't sit and focus and they just can't do it. And so you don't want to force them to do something that's really not realistic.
0: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, interesting the research around how n- nose nasal breathing can improve concentration in children. That, yes.
1: That's fascinating. And and working memory. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff, isn't it? The way um the nose, you've got the, you know, the little cribriform plate, the olfactory nerve moves up and it goes straight into the limbic system. And feeds into a number of memory networks and so um, very important for learning and memory nasal breathing but also this amazing stuff for self-regulation calming down the brain breathing through the nose it's like the olfactory bulb you know which then links into the limbic system it actually then propagates through the whole brain and you end up actually affecting the way the whole brain is functioning from nasal breathing Yeah, incredible, definitely Mm -hmm.
0: worth having a look at why one isn't and how one could.
1: And how one could, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's really worth putting a lot of effort into. It's not just a thing. Oh, Some people are nose breathers, some people are mouth breathers. It's like you want to be a predominant nasal breather. But can I just say, Alex, because a lot of people say, oh, never, never nasal breathe, you know, And, and never nasal breathe during exercise, never nasal breathe, you know, at any time. And I say, no, 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 never say never about any breathing thing because I actually stumbled across research showing how mouth breathing can actually activate the prefrontal cortex, Mm. (laughs) improve oxygen uptake in the brain. So the occasional mouth breath, even as an exercise, like in through your nose, out through your mouth, in through your mouth, out through your nose, you do that a few times and it feels actually really nice, Mm. quite activating. You can yeah. feel how it's, man. That feels good. Yeah. Well, all those different exercises,
0: especially Kundalini yoga, where you learn, you know, the um, alternate nasal breathing. That's one of my favorites for calming yeah, um, down beauty. the mind. Yeah. A and you know, why wouldn't we draw on all of the wisdom from all of the sources as we've travelled through time to find different things that achieve different results
1: for people yeah well that's how I feel. Mm. And the other thing is during exercise you know why you want it to be predominant most people uh, would mouth breathe too much because it is the line of least resistance. most people can do with improving the, the, the extent of nasal breathing that they do during exercise. but you know there are times when it's okay to breathe a bit through your mouth when you exercise it can actually help to protect and open the will help to open the airways. And at high levels of exercise, some mouth breathing is completely appropriate.
0: Yeah. Well, if you talk about waking up the prefrontal cortex, and how elite sports is often done from a fight or flight, you know, high alert, um, uh, in in a high alert state, and that is why they're able to compete as champions, then it would make sense. You would need that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I know one of the things you, you maybe wanted to talk about was the Wim Hof. And Wim Hof, he actually, particularly in the earlier days of his, his teaching, his method, he used to really, it was in through the mouth, out through the mouth.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And the, the now people are going more nose because a lot of people are really aware that this nose is so important because the nose has so many functions. Mm. Um, but you know, Wim Hof is based on trying to get a sympathetic nervous system response. It's, ha- it's part of how the immune activation happens and it's ha- part of how people, you know, get strong and resilient by actually being able to, you know, build the resilience of the system, you know, the, stress, the, s- the stress-induced the stress response as well as the relaxation response.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and so you mentioned uh, Bateko earlier on and um, now you've just mentioned Wim Hof. How do we know what we bring into the work we want to do? Let's just say, you know, I want to become a better breather. I want to oxygenate my blood better. Then starts the Google search and then you land on either Bottega or Wim Hof or something else or your work. Or How do we navigate the, the, the many options we have to decide what's going to work for us?
1: Do you know, as a professional, I do it quite differently, I measure everybody. So for example, if someone came to me, just talking about say Wim Hof and Bateco. So Bateco says everybody is hyperventilating. And the cure for all disease is to breathe less and retain more CO2. Wim Hof says we should be breathing a lot to oxygenate our body. Betako says the way you get more oxygen to the body is by increasing CO2, which will help the release of oxygen from the red blood cell, you know, to the to the organism, to metabolizing tissue. And Wim Hof just goes, I was going to swear. <laughs> he actually says, just breathe, motherfucker. You know. <laughs>
0: Do you know? I think that's the first time someone's ever used that word on my show. There you go. Oh, you <laughs> You're you <yours> a lady. <laughs> you can bleep it out. Too funny. No, I'm keeping it in. Well, <laughs> I love it. Um, and so so that becomes confusing for people because becomes, they're like, what on earth do I do? What
1: on earth do I do? It's like these diametrically opposite things. Yeah. People get great results with both. But not everyone gets great results with both. And most of the time people just self-select, you know, they'll try Boteco, hate it, doesn't work for them. So they don't do it, you know. Or they'll do bit, they'll do Wim Hof, doesn't work for them, you know, they get dizzy or they feel uncomfortable or it makes them tired or even makes them anxious. So they'll just self-select and not do that. And 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 I think that's how it happens in the world. Um, So my approach is, like, for example, with the hyperventilation thing, what I do is I actually carefully measure CO2. So I measure people's resting CO2, and then I put them under certain challenges. So, do you know, like I first measure resting CO2 over about three minutes. I take average measures, and then I get people to stand. And then I notice what happens to oxygen, CO2, heart rate, and breathing rate when they stand. And there are some people like uh, people with uh, say women often with, uh, you know, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, you know, POTS, which is a type of autonomic dysregulation. The minute they stand up, not all of them, a quarter of them, they really hyperventilate. And their heart rate goes up 20, 30 points. And I know if they did Wim Hof, they would fall apart. They just couldn't cope with that kind of, you know, intensity and stress. And then the next thing I do is I actually do a hyperventilation test, which is like getting people to do them off for two minutes, strong breathing for two minutes. And then I note what symptoms they get. But then the thing I do is I do, I look at recovery. I see, do they recover in three minutes? Does their CO2 recover? To its normal range in three minutes. And you know, the people who can cope with Wim Hof, who do well, they recover in three minutes. But those people who say often can't cope with Wim Hof yet, do you know, at this stage of their breathing journey, then they don't recover in three minutes. Sometimes they don't recover half an hour later, you know. So they don't cope with that kind of technique. I know when I had. the the
0: worst of the SIRS, and I still dip back into it if I've had a bad exposure now, I'm not fully resilient again yet, but at my worst, uh, even if my husband rolled over in the bed next to me or I rolled over in the middle of my sleep, that would be enough to give me massive fast heart and breathing sort of up and going, oh, my God, Uh, my nervous system going, we're in danger, watch out, and just like... Heart rate would skyrocket if I, um, as you said, stood up. Yeah, Um, because you had some dysautonomia. And it's so interesting that you mentioned that that type of a person would do badly on Wim Hof because I remember going to a Wim Hof event and even though uh, I had the euphoric sensation that they talk about with the ice bath and maybe thermogenesis and the ice bath part of the therapy would be actually quite useful for building resilience moving from hot to cold that i get but the breathing i had the worst couple of days and i was in the worst of my serves at the time yeah yeah um, and so that makes a lot of sense now that you've yeah.
1: explained it mm. the thing is stress is good do you know cold hyperventilation big breathing you know sauna but it's it, hypoxia even hypercapnia, high CO2, or even low CO2, but it's got to be in your body's capacity to cope. So it's this thing of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it's true. You, 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 you can build strength and resilience, but you can also overdo it and just fall apart. So the fine line, you know, when you're working with what I call adaptive medicine and I see breathing uh, like fasting and this and that, as being a type of adaptive medicine, there isn't just breathing right. There's also breathing in a way that you're creating a kind of a mild stress that stimulates the body's healing and, and, and uh, re- healing responses.
0: Mm-hmm. Just as a sauna would, putting them in an unusually hot situation or a, finishing a shower with a little cold.
1: Yeah, that kind but of thing. Little bits of what you do before you make you stronger. So, breath breath holding would be a thing. Do you know, people do. Love free divers love free diving. Man, they love that feeling. They go somewhere special, you know. And um, but it can kill you too. And people love the challenge and how they feel after. And both Boteko and Wim Hof use breath holding, and it turns out breath holding. It's a thing that people do that's very dysfunctional. Someone with very dysfunctional, very irregular breathing, they will be always holding their breath, or you know, inappropriately. And then when I'm doing breathing training, I will often use breath holding, but in a controlled, adaptive way to help reset the breathing system and reset the nervous system and create a mild stress, a mild hypercapnic, which means high CO2. And a hypoxic meaning slightly low oxygen stress because of what it does to stimulate the healing response within mm. the body. And so you you run the, the simple tests that measure
0: carbon dioxide and oxygen, heart rate, etc., through these different little challenges. Um, could you run us through a couple of different scenarios that you find, like maybe two different types of imaginary people? You okay. found this in one person, this in another person how you then progress them through healing.
1: So if I got someone and say they sit down, so we'll we'll get a hyperventilator as an example. You get someone and they're a chronic hyperventilator. I see them every week. They're wandering around, feeling bad, all sorts of symptoms and often a bit of respiratory discomfort, don't feel like they can get a satisfying breath. Um, Or they might not even have any breathing symptoms, just be kind of prone to stress and hyperarousal with some strange gut symptoms or something like that. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you sit them down and measure their CO2. And what I find is that this, their carbon dioxide, like from the nose, you can measure exhaled CO2 by putting a little tube in the nose. And someone with good, healthy breathing, their carbon dioxide is between 37 and 42 millimeters of mercury. And then you'll get someone measure them, their hyperventilator, and you find at rest, their CO2 is 29. And they might be breathing a normal speed of breathing. Some of these people have already been working on trying to control their breath. They're breathing slowly, but they're still hyperventilating because they haven't worked on the brain part of it, you know, the chemoreceptor sensitivity. So (laughs) That would be one sort of person with just a low resting CO2. Then you've got your hidden hyperventilators where they actually don't look like they're hyperventilating at rest. So you'll get the other sort of person who has um, normal resting CO2, but they're a hidden hyperventilator. So they have poor control. They have instability of breathing control. So I would get them to hyperventilate for two minutes to maintain a low CO2 for two minutes. And then at the end of the two minutes, I ask them to go back to normal breathing and their carbon dioxide stays low. It doesn't return to the normal level. So then I know that given exercise or stress or, you know, giving a lecture, you know, talking a lot, their CO2 would go or doing a Wim Hof session, their CO2 would drop down low and stay low. Mm -hmm.
0: Wow. And And then their body has to be... Is it that inflexibility that's then part of
1: the red flag? Yeah. 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 And those people would be more prone to sleep apnea, a particular type of sleep apnea. Do you know where they have uh, It's called increased loop gain? They have unstable breathing at night. So they tend to over-breathe, under over-breathe, stop breathing, you know, like that. So often it's the young, slim women who have a type of sleep apnea that's not really explained by having the big fat neck and, uh, you know, some of them are not even snoring, but their breathing is unstable at night and they wake up unrefreshed and they're exhausted. Mm-hmm. Wow. Every day.
0: And, and so when you have that type of a person, um, how do they start to actually fix things i mean i guess this is when we we'll start to talk about your program what is it called
1: yeah well i call what i do integrative breathing therapy for want of a better name because um it's really well maybe that's a very good name, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> inter- name. it says <laughs> it, what it does on the box it does <laughs> it says what it does in the box so it's it's very much about you know um so the model I work with is that there's three key dimensions to breathing. It's biochemical, biomechanical, and psychophysiological. So the biochemical is all about CO2, oxygen, pH. And so what I do is I measure CO2 at rest and under challenge, right? And then the next thing I do is I measure the breathing pattern. I see how much tension is there in this breathing system. Is the diaphragm? operating properly? Is it relaxing and contracting as it should, and in coordination with the other muscles? Has that person got a nice integrated breathing pattern? And then the final thing would be just looking at how is this person perceiving their breath? Are they over perceiving or under perceiving? You know, how is their breath integrated with the whole anxiety, arousal, stress response system? Okay. So once I've done my evaluation, then I would design a program. And a program, say someone like that who was a hyperventilator, um, I would probably pretty much always start with just getting them to, to use some mindful breath and movement practices where they actually come into their body and their breath using breath and movement but learning to kind of just breathe with a bit less tension in the system. And I I work using different positions. So it actually ends up looking like a little yoga session, do you know, where the person's lying on their back and then they're raising their arms and they're raising their legs and they've got their hips up. And then they're doing a few breaths in each position and then turning over on their belly and then going into a crawling standing and then sitting position so that their breathing is having a a chance to adapt to the kind of range of positions that would happen in in daily life. And just bring their awareness to their breath and and, and taking out the idea that they should be breathing perfectly in all those positions. So it's about observing and noticing and just changing the neuroplasticity of breathing control and taking excessive tension out. So that would be my breathing basics where I'd start, pretty much everybody, um, unless their breathing pattern is perfect, and, and they're so tuned in in that way that I don't need to do it, then I don't. And then the next thing I would do is, is um, then I, I start, say if they're a hyperventilator, then I would start actually teaching them how to to, to not overbreathe. <laughs> and some, some people I might use a, a, a bateco style where I reduce the volume of breathing. Other people I work with the speed or a combination, you know, normalizing the rate and volume of breathing um, and using breath holds therapeutically. And some people who really, like a lot of people with very dysfunctional breathing, they can't stand their breath. Do you know? They can't stand the feeling of it. Their breathing makes them distressed. And when they focus on it, um, it just doesn't feel very good. So with those people, I use a, a, a different series of techniques called indirect techniques where they actually learn to work with, um, they anchor into the body and then watch the breath a bit and then they move between the breath and the body so that yeah. then they gradually, it's like a kind of a brain retraining.
0: Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually yeah. doing Ashok Gupta's
1: program at the moment in brain retraining. So, Right, right. Yeah. And then once I've done those basics, then I might start using things like the power breathe, you know, like I'll, I do use devices, you know, the power breathe. And um, which is respiratory muscle training. And I just recently came across that 0 two, which I haven't had a huge experience with, but, um, you know, which is using mild resistance plus steam, warm air, you know, and for some people who've got a lot of, um, you know, mucus and congestion plus weak respiratory muscles, something like that can be good. Or we're using... Um, Do you know, so it's like after I've taken care of the basics and I might use devices, Um, and then sometimes I would use things like, you know, I mean, actually, as I'm talking, I'm realizing sometimes these things are used early on. Sometimes I might use people to nebulize glutathione, you know, if inflammation infection, I'll get them to nebulize glutathione um, to just reduce the inflammation in the lungs. And then one of my favorite breathing therapies, which I also tend to not do straight up in the beginning, and that's high-altitude training. It's called intermittent hypoxic training, and it's giving controlled doses of high-altitude air to kind of just reset the body's glucose metabolism, the oxygen system, and just make their whole cellular um, respiration as well as their respiratory system work more effectively.
0: How fascinating. So,
1: when you so, so there's regulate, a lot to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to it and you just said to regulate glucose metabolism. So, I don't think a lot of people would know that the effectiveness and flexibility in your breathing has to do with
1: how you metabolize sugar. Yeah, oxygen and sugar kind of work together. And it's really interesting because the the um like hypoxic intermittent hypoxic training it's really helpful for metabolic syndrome and people with, um, you know, pre-diabetes and diabetes. And it's not used widely, but the research is really there. And the Chinese are doing research. They've done research um, in Russia on this. I actually published a case study myself that um, on a woman with pre-diabetes where I worked with someone at the, um, Bowdoin Institute, you know, at Sydney Uni. And we did a case study on someone who had just in a year put on nine kilos, and she was pre diabetic and fatigued. And so we did for a month, we put her on like the CSIRO diet, slightly low carb diet, she lost a little weight, but didn't feel hugely more energized. And then we did the same diet plus intermittent hypoxic training. Her her blood sugars completely normalized her insulin normalized and she lost nine kilos oh my goodness so it's just really fascinating stuff and Bateko, when when um you know i went to russia back in the early 90s Bateko was treating a lot of diabetics using his breathing method so it's a
0: that's it's really pretty, exciting. And so, exciting, yeah. I mean, surely this is better than um, or at least worth exploring in conjunction with um,
1: allopathic <laughs> treatments
0: if yeah. it has these really interesting
1: results. Yeah, it's all kind of new. And certainly you'd, you'd um, yeah, but it just sort of makes sense. You know, there's, a, there's, um, there's someone... Who calls himself the breathing diabetic? I don't know him very well. I've just kind of stumbled on him, and he's someone who was a, you know, type one diabetic. You know, like a diabetic from childhood, and he started working with his breathing, doing um, slow. Sounds like what he's doing is slow resonance frequency type breathing, plus some breath holding training every day, and just working with his breath all day long. And he's gotten really good improved control, you know, of his, uh, of his diabetes, working with the breath.
0: Absolutely fascinating. I think a few light bulbs will be going off with that one as well. Um, and so I, it sort of makes me want to ask, what are some of the other glaringly obvious things that look like a totally different problem to breathing that actually can be supported by breathing and the link hasn't really been made widely if that makes sense Mm
1: pots yeah dysautonomia Mm -hmm. um do you know like when you've got this is only starting to get attention quite recently but there was a a study that some physios did at at imperial college london where they got a whole bunch of it was a a pots clinic and they um evaluated them for dysfunctional breathing, and they say, hey, 90% of these people with POTS have dysfunctional breathing. And, you know, what happens in POTS is you've got this uh, sort of dysregulation of homeostasis in the autonomic nervous system. And in the kind of regulatory mechanisms of blood pressure and heart rate, blood flow, and breathing, blood flow, heart rate, blood pressure, they all working together and um, so work, working with breathing in a way where you're normalizing and then challenging and also working with the things that are known to work, like improving physical fitness, you know, but not orthostatic, like doing rowing and things like that and slowly strengthening the system, um, you can get really good results in some people it's certainly part of it these things are complex sometimes
0: they are but But what i think is interesting is most of the complex health history cases that you come across uh, i can't think of one up until today speaking to you where they talked about breathing being like the real thing that changed everything often people are trying to change all the things in the background to then get breathing properly. Um, Yeah, yeah. So it feels like we really need to put it centre stage with multiple therapies in these more complex cases.
1: Oh, yeah, that's what I believe for sure. Mm. And I don't think that breathing is the answer to everything and sometimes it's like the breathing won't work if you're not doing something else, if you're not also working with the gut or, you know, or also working with the mind, you know, and the emotions and learning to practice gratitude, you know, and get your attitude right sort of thing. Yeah, and yeah. that. It's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you get nowhere with breathing. But um, another one actually, Alex, that I wanted to mention is sleep apnea or sleep disordered breathing. A lot of people don't know that sleep apnea isn't always solved with a CPAP or with a mandibular advancement splint. There are at least 20% of people with uh, sleep apnea where their major issue is actually functional. And it has to do with, you know, breathing regulation and control. And um, particularly people with this syndrome that's called upper airways resistance syndrome affecting a lot of younger women. And they often have a lot of insomnia, anxiety, um, low energy, unexplained symptoms. And what's happening is that, all through the night, they're having cortical arousals where their brain is waking up. And <coughs> often their breathing is really poor. And so when you work with breathing and you improve the CO2 and the CO, what's called the CO2 reserve, then, you know, their arousal improves at night and their breathing stabilizes, their airway works better.
0: Wow, and they'd be getting deeper sleep because they're yeah, to the corner lights. Mm. Wow, fascinating. Um, okay, so the last question I want to ask you then is probably going to require a bit of a long answer, but I'm gonna ask it anyway, and that is uh, if we were to start focusing on breathing and if we wanted to increase our flexibility. In the sense that breathing flexibility and being able to stand up and not have too much (laughs) go haywire from that simple action, et cetera. Where do we start at home when we can't get to you? What are your absolute go to things that tend to work for
1: most people? Do you know a breathing technique that's been shown to be incredibly useful and helpful for regulating the interaction between the heart? Blood pressure and breathing, and also to calm and stabilize the nervous system, and make the chemo receptors less sensitive, you know, or more flexible. It's a type of breathing called resonance frequency breathing. Have you come across that? Some I mean, people call it coherent breathing. I think that's a really good starting place for most people. And there are lots of apps out there, breathing paces that just get you slowing your breathing down so that your breathing around 5.5 or six breaths per minute. So you're just breathing, you know, in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, five, six. In from four, out, six. Yeah, that's my favourite count. Mm -hmm. Slightly longer on the exhale. So the diaphragm has a bit of a chance to relax.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's that kind of like little dip point at the end of the, the
1: hour. Yeah, a little dip point at the end. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a nice one to use. And you just use it for, you know, 10 minutes, a couple of times a day. And often it just helps to reduce hyperarousal and just kind of tidy up the house. You mm-hmm. know? Brilliant. Yeah, tidy, tidy up the breathing house. And you mentioned before alternate nostril breathing. I love that too. Mm, I think nice. alternate nostril breathing is great. And I do it in a really simple way, which is just like a hold the nose like that mm-hmm. so that's opening the nose. Oh, ah, yeah, yeah, because you when you do the go like that, it can be a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. so I just like that, mm-hmm. gentle pressure up. And when I'm doing it with the kids, we go like this, you know, wave and they go, <laughs> <on>. <laughs> Yeah. But just gentle pressure up. Mm-hmm. And then in and out five times on one nostril and then change sides and in and out on the other side. It's really relaxing and it's not complicated. You're not needing to do complicated counts or remember. So it's a really easy one and Mm. I I enjoy that. And when I'm showing it to people, I start to show them and then I get so relaxed I don't want to talk anymore. (laughs) I'm chilling out now. You can leave. I'm chilling out now. Now you can leave. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so there would be two. I yeah. would say, can't, can't really go wrong. No. Just uh, resonance frequency breathing. That being said, don't think that you should do it all day long. Mm. Resonance frequency breathing isn't our everyday breathing. It's our special breathing when we're coming back to reintegrate.
0: Yeah. Well, After it's kind of like you wouldn't have someone cleaning your house all day long, making everything perfect all the time.
1: Well, that's actually a very good analogy, isn't it? Because some people do over tidy, don't they?
0: Yeah. And well, that leads to nowhere good. So it would make sense that you need to do it as a tidy, um, but you need to have the flexibility to not freak out if there's a blazer over the chair when the kid comes home from school. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And you want to be human and feel your passions, you know, Mm. and feel your, feel your, normal appropriate responses which will have a type of breathing that goes with them, mm. which is completely normal.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Rosalva. I think this has been such a wonderful deep dive into breathing and a subject that confuses people again because I think often we have to we feel we have to define what is perfect and right. And then everything else is either a failure or something we need to work on or another thing we need to buy to make it better when really, uh, the aim of the game is flexibility. And you've given us so many wonderful tools to get there. Now, I know you also train health professionals. Mm. So, you know, for people all around the world, uh, people who can't get to you in Sydney, I'd imagine you're a very busy lady in clinic. Uh, And how would we know who has been trained by you?
1: You know, I'm really working on that. I'm I'm just I've taken a couple of months out of clinic now to work on the integrative breathing practitioner training and I'm, I'm really sort of at the stage of my life and career where I really want to just package all of this and make sure that there are plenty of people trained in this stuff so that they can provide this service and then I can make that known. At the moment it's not really at that stage.
0: Okay right
1: but we can look
0: forward to it soon. Look forward to it soon. Wonderful. Well, all your other details are in the show notes and I want to say thank you again for joining me today. Thank you,
1: Alex. That was wonderful.
0: Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview and I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at lotoxlife, or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Low Tox Life uh, and, of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US about 27 euro and about 25 pounds you get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private facebook community so check out the website lotoxlife.com hit the explore tab and you'll see join the lotox club as your very first option there i hope to see you in there if not i will see you in our wider community sometime soon
1: thanks again for tuning in